0: The author of Future is Analog, The Future is Analog. Uh, kind of a follow-up uh, to a previous book you wrote, David, uh, The Revenge of Analog. Is the son of Analog coming along somewhere? Because I'm thinking <laughs> of those movies like Frankenstein and so forth.
1: The Wrath uh, of Analog.
0: The I Wrath, there that. we go. But the no,
1: analog. What, yeah.
0: you you obviously hit a nerve with this because um, I think so many of us are inundated with the digital world and we do this and we do that. So you're an outlier with this with this message. Um, what what brought you to this point? And I'm sure you've got it in the book. So I po- apologize for forcing you to compress it. Yeah. What what, what no, is your no. thought there?
1: You know my 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 curiosity in analog, which is really my way of saying non-digital technologies, non-digital ways of doing things Um, uh, first began as a curiosity. This was, I don't know, 15 years ago, Um, right when the sort of smartphones were coming out, I was noticing that at the same time, there was this small but growing trend in interest in these non-digital physical goods and ideas, um, vinyl records, film cameras, board games all these things were kind of growing again when everybody had said that and predicted that they would be dead and done for and that that really continued so the first book was really about that this book came kind of out of the experience early on in the pandemic when everything in our lives went online, everything had to be done through a screen, whether it was work, whether it was school, whether you were having a family reunion or meeting up with friends or exercising or um, shopping, it, it, everything was online. And this would have right. been predicted. This was the future that we were always going to. And now it was here, it was the new <laughs> normal. And for most of us, very quickly, you know, after we're like, hey, wow, isn't it cool that I can, you know, bike in my living room, all of a sudden it's like, I just want to go outside. I just want to do those real things. I want to go to a movie theater. I want to, you know, buy melons in a grocery store. Um, and so what what this new book is about, and the most recent one, The Futures is Analogous, is really taking a look at that experience of, of the, you know, first year of the pandemic, let's say, and what we learned about all those areas of our lives where we had to go digital. For some period of time, I mean, what did it reveal about the, the maybe the hidden values of the non digital spaces, the non digital ways of doing things that we hadn't necessarily thought about before?
0: When we're talking with David Sachs, author of uh, the uh, future is analog, and I, I keep wanting to say <laughs> your previous book, the Revenge of Analog, <laughs> because uh, I, that one I'm, I'm more familiar with. But the 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 whole business of you know coming, you mentioned the pandemic and and coming out of the pandemic we have so many people working at home um now they're getting back how is it in toronto is is the downtown bustling again or or what what's what's your what's your uh, view I, I there? mean it's
1: definitely i don't think there's anywhere where it's back to what it was you know in january february january of 2020 right um and i think you know when the when the overall numbers come in it's it's always like oh it's actually down by you know 20% you're like well twenty seven, percent that's not that much but it's 20% kind of full time and there's this sort of hybrid thing i mean i was in a big office of a company last week and it seemed pretty bustling and they said well on a given day there's usually 50 to 60% are here and then the other half are kind of rotating in and out um so i don't think it's i don't think you'll find anywhere where it's back to 100%
0: right and that's that's just a, i guess as a result of Is it a little bit of you can have your cake and eat it too? In other words, okay, I'll come to the office, but I'm not coming every day or something like that. I I think
1: that's what it is. Like it fundamentally bakes down, and this is why it's kind of the trickiest area that people are still figuring out what the future of this of work is. Is it real like the advantages and disadvantages are quite clear. And unfortunately, you can't really have both. Right. The mm-hmm. the advantage of remote digital work is the convenience for the individuals, um, uh, the cost and time savings from commuting. Uh, you know, most people who work for a job have to get there and it takes most people on average, you know, half an hour to upwards of two hours to get to some sort of place. Right. Sure. That's, that's a lot of that's a lot of time sitting on your butt. Um, that's a lot of hours out of one's life. And that's time away from kids and, you know, drop-offs and socialization and all these sorts of things. Um, so there's the convenience of that, the, the ability to have, you know, people and teams in all sorts of parts of um, geographical areas and so forth. But the disadvantages of it, which are kind of harder to calculate, Oh, and and sort of the cost, right? Like it costs X amount of dollars per square foot to lease an office space. Right. Um, The disadvantages of that or the advantages of working together is less apparent and easy to calculate. And we're only seeing it now. And it really has to do with these intangible things like um, relationships, teamwork, um, sort of uh, the embodied cognition, which is like the physical understanding you get about your job and your role in a company and projects and things you're working on just by being in the same space as other people working on that thing. The, the little snippets of conversation, the the drawing you see on the side of someone's desk, um, uh, you know, things that information that you pick up in passing. And online, mm-hmm. the information is only the information that someone like sends you in text, in pictures, in video, in sound or something else. Like it has to be, you know, codified basically right. for you to pick up on it. And those things actually do add up to something. It's It adds up to sort of a, a company culture. It adds up to uh, the way that it's just like when you have a meeting in person, all of a sudden, you're just able to get through these things much quicker than 20 phone calls and 100 emails and Slack messages. And that's just the natural way that people have kind of evolved to communicate. Um, and so now, you know, long term, you're seeing that, but you can't have it's very hard to have both. And I think that's what everybody really wants now is like, I want to stay in sweatpants. I want to be able to like (laughs) work from my backyard when it's nice out. I don't want to go into the office. I don't want to like pack some silly lunch or pay too much money for lunch. Like I don't want to sit in the cold air conditioning, but I also want the social part of it. I also want to be able to understand where people are. I also want to be able to be mentored. I want to meet the new people who are coming in. I want to be mentored by the old people there. Like, I want all the. I want it all, and it's it's just hard because you you physically can't be in both places. You you physically can't have it all. So this sort of all right. Well, everybody's going to come in on Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday, and then Thursdays. You know, blah, blah, blah. like everybody's experimenting, and I think we're still going to see the experiment go on. I think the places that are fully remote, I, I think you'll see them, but it's not going to be the new normal. That's not the new normal. Right. And I think the places that are a hundred percent everybody in here nine to five Monday to Friday also is not going to be the norm. Right? Um, Right. It's that, that, and and that, that messy combination points to the way that, you know, is the deeper reality of what I'm talking about with this book, which is that you can work by your own in your house remotely for the rest of your life, but it probably isn't the best for you. It probably isn't the best for the people you work with or work for, um, and so what is that? How do we get, how do we strike the right balance between the benefits of analog and the benefits of digital without going too much into a static way of doing things or a sort of forced way of using technology that ultimately doesn't make us better off.
0: Yeah. We're talking with David Sachs and uh, <laughs> the, the book is a futures analog. Now it is one thing I want to ask you, David, and this is the, mm. the buzz word, buzz phrase, we hear it everywhere you go, and what it's going to do. AI, artificial mm. intelligence. What do you make of this? Because I, I'm sure there's grade school kids um, who think AI is some kind of I don't know uh, new vitamin or something. Because you hear it yeah. everywhere. Uh, what What's your take on this?
1: I mean, I mean, you know, what we're talking about is is computers taught to process information in a much better, faster way, which is potentially good thing for all sorts of things right for chemistry and medicine and you know basic things in your life of like oh could you just make me a schedule and do these annoying boring things that now i can do faster as a computer can think better right without having to upgrade my opera you know without having to upgrade my laptop Mm -hmm. and that's that's a positive i think and this is what we get sort of saw this early in the pandemic like the predictions of utopian or dystopian. All or nothing. AI is going to change everything. Is that's where I kind of you know I I I I would caution um, against buying into things too much. Like artificial intelligence, you know, super intelligent computers and computers that can do so much more and learn on their own will change the world in all sorts of incredible and maybe horrible ways, and probably a bit of both. But like the sun will still shine, the birds will still chirp you know your kids are still going to need to be fed at dinner time um you still have to know how to uh uh you know tie your shoelaces you, you know the the realities of the world the realities of our bodies the realities of the things that matter to us or relationships like that ai doesn't change that it might be able to interact with them in some way um and in the same sense of you know oh this is it you know the, your job is going to be done you know you'll be put out of work as ai will be able to do it perhaps there are some jobs but other jobs will be created by it and other jobs will just kind of be impacted and shipped by it um but this this kind of notion of this digital all-knowing digital power that is the solution for everything is is what we had the experience running up against right like yeah. the very right. same people who are saying ai will change everything it's going to completely transform the world this is the way forward are the same people who are saying in March of 2020, this is it. This is the new way we're living. You know, Everybody's going to work out on a Peloton. No one's going to a gym anymore. No one's going to a theater. They're <laughs> just going to stream every, everything. Um, you know, Close down your churches and your mosques and your synagogues because you can just Zoom the services online. You know, This is the way of the future. And, and, and we're not living like a virtual school. And and what we've seen really aside from work and people going back to offices, like 99% of it's back to where it was. Right. Nobody's right. ordering home meal restaurant kits. They're going to restaurants. Um, restaurants are packed. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, nobody's, they just
0: need people. School. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah. Nobody's going doing it. It's staff. Exactly. Nobody's yeah. doing virtual school. Right. Um, it, it, it's, you know, the, the predictions are, are, are these theoretical imaginative science fiction ideas, but it's just fiction. And so AI is a thing. It's here. And we're probably going to stop referring to it as AI in a couple of years because it'll just be part of the fabric of the tools that we use in work, in learning, in life or whatever. But like if your fence in your backyard is broken, you're still going to have to call a guy with a saw and a piece of wood to come fix
0: it or do Good. it yourself. <laughs> let me let me pose. And a maybe AI
1: can help you calculate the angle of the wood that it has to go on.
0: <laughs> there we go. Let me pose a problem to you, David—a uh, real-world problem that uh, involves things. Um, you're a college teacher, and you—you you, you got a class in front of you, and the people are all on their cell phones or smartphones, whatever. And what is your what is your take on that? The school may not have a policy; it's left to the individual. What do you do? Because I mean, you, I, I feeling... know people who are yeah,
1: yeah. I know people who are professors. Um. And uh, and teachers, and for the most part, even the ones who a couple of years ago were like, "I want everybody to have a phone in the classroom because you know this is the way you interact with the world, I'll, many of them have told me they've they've restricted it or limited it or banned it. Your point of to be there is to be there and learn. If you're not there to learn and you're there on your phone doing something, you know, tough. Like that's that's, that's what it is. There's no there's no digital advantage someone's getting by being in the classroom and 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 having their heads down, um, uh, and so yeah, you make a choice or other teachers are like no, I want everybody on their laptop because this is the way of the world, and this is the way we all work, but it's the it is the evidence is there that the more you digital technology you have, the more distraction there is, right? The less people, sure. learn, the less attention they have. Same in meetings. You know, if everybody's there banging on the laptop, they're ignoring you half of what you're saying. They're, they're being distracted. They're messaging. They're, 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 they're doing other work. They're watching a video or something. Right. Like yeah. there's no, it's very hard to argue for that. And that's why a lot of schools, which maybe five, 10 years ago, were saying we're one to one for devices. Every kid gets a device. That's the way we learn. It's much more restricted now. You know, my kid's school, like they have the laptops, you know, and the tablets in a closet, like when it's time for it, it's time for it, and then otherwise they're locked away.
0: Right. I I, I asked you that because I know in your in in you in the Revenge of Analog you have a a little part in there about the camp where the uh the 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 camp owner uh sent if they brought it if they were restricted on on phones but if they brought one in he sent it back to the parents COD. I thought that was yeah. a great without a note. I thought that was a great touch. Yeah. It just arrived back. And yeah, there's
1: there is yeah. no reason. There's no reason for a kid to have a cell phone at summer camp. Right. Yeah. There's no reason for most students to have in the classroom phones um, in what they're doing. There, there, there's no reason for that. You know, you can have a box at the beginning of class and put it in it, and then in between classes they can go and text their friends. So like, there's no educational advantage; it's just taking away from it.
0: Yeah, and and I would think, and and we'll we'll let pardon me, we'll let others, uh, you know, give them the, uh, give us their opinion. But uh, you know, I I would guess it's a refreshing break uh, for those that maybe are always on their phone. To experience yeah. life without it for a little bit. Well, uh, that's
1: really interesting, right? Because you know th- we have made this generational assumption, and I think this is the the most the most common misconception um, I encounter about this sort of value of analog and the desire for it. The common the common misconception is um, well, the only people who care about analog are older people like you and I. Because they grew up with it and they're afraid of new technology. And actually, if you look at the drivers of things like vinyl records and cassette tapes coming back and paper book sales and, um, and uh, you know, all these kind of analog trends, the, the majority of it is driven by people who are younger, who are, you know, so-called digital natives, right, who are in their 30s and 20s. Who who desire something else and desire limits. And I think we we saw kids on phones and playing on tablets and games, and we we made this assumption that this is all these people want. This is this this generation just wants digital stuff. And actually the opposite's true. They they've grown up with it. It's nothing special. They crave, they crave that variety. They when they go to work, they they want. To learn from other people, they want their, they're the ones who are missing out on the relationships more than anyone. Um, uh, and so, so yeah, you know, the, there's obviously individuals who might, you know, and this is all just generalizing, but there are individuals who certainly would, you know, want their phone, want their laptop in class, but a lot of them talk about their desire for that, that real sort of communication. And I think we, we made the assumption that, oh, we're gonna be the most cutting edge school. We're gonna give every kid a laptop because that's what the kids want. Kids don't
0: care. Like they'll play
1: <laughs> games on it, but it's not. It's not how they want to learn.
0: Yeah, yeah there, there are other things in life. <clears throat> We're talking with David Sachs, and the future is analog. Uh, <laughs> the 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 thing that, that I thought you made the point you made in the previous book, and I think it speaks you know volumes. Uh, no pun intended, was the idea that you talk to a Google designer and they're still using paper uh, before they move to the computer. Um, mm-hmm. As as a sort of evidence that, you know, I did. You know, I just don't sit down at the keyboard and and it's all there. No, we're still using pen on paper, pencil on paper, whatever it is, to get things started to, to maybe formulate ideas. And that that's that's as analog as you can get. As you said, paper is thousands of years uh, in in the in, in in you know in man's history. So you know that that's kind of reassuring, I think, and and you made that point early on. Well, and it gets to the question
1: of the values and the different spa- places of technologies. Like I think, at getting to this AI question again, you know, we we've made this assumption, uh, which is a pretty naive one, that the newest, most complicated, most expensive technology is going to be the best one, and. That is true in many circumstances, right? I would not want to be launching rockets um, (laughs) or being operated on with antiquated technology. Uh, I want Mm -hmm. the best and most up-to-date technology possible, right, in those respects. But other times, you know, the pen is mightier than the AI chatbot um Mm -hmm. in terms of the ease in terms of the freedom of the idea in terms of the different spaces like you can write a pen and take a pen and write on a piece of paper you can write on your walls you can write on you know something you're working on and designing again getting back to our fixing the fence thing like you could write with a carpenter's pencil on it you can you can do all these sorts of things a kid can take it with a piece of paper and design all sorts of amazing things in a much freer way than giving them a laptop and software and saying, "Go design your own comic book," right? Mm-hmm. It's it's different, and there's place for both. And I think most people use both. There's very few people who use exclusively one or exclusively the other type of technology.
0: Talking with David, Tech. One last thing, David, and and I I have to tell you, this was a again from the from the first book, but just a marvelous little note that I had never uh, knew known before. But one of my mm-hmm. favorite songs. Uh, is the Beatles I Am the Walrus came up mm-hmm. the magical mystery tour. And you you have a, a part in the in 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 the revenge book where you talk about that was only possible in an analog studio because of the various things the different Beatles are doing at the same time. Um flipping the radio on and doing fiddling with a piano and and I just yeah. thought <clears throat> I'd never thought of that. And I thought, wow, if that isn't a great uh evidence or argument for uh keeping it that way uh Mm -hmm. because i I don't know that we've seen a lot of songs that good since then or at least had the impact yeah
1: i think you know what the, the the one of the big differences between analog and digital which i think gets to this bigger thing is like the narrowness and broadness of scope right um, mm-hmm. Digital is very good at doing very specific things within the confines of the hardware and the software. Within that, there's tremendous power and tremendous potential. But like outside of the limits of the size of that screen or the capabilities of that technology, the programming, there's very little that it can do, right? right. Very little that it can do. Mm-hmm. Um, and analog is the whole world around us. And I think this is the thing that we keep running into. And this is what we ran into during the beginning of the pandemic, We realized that our limits, um, the limits of the digital world are much smaller than the limits of the analog world. The analog world is the world, the entire world, right? Like the earth and the universe beyond it. Mm -hmm. And the digital world is just what we've managed to, you know, create with hardware and software. And that actually only governs a small part of life. It doesn't affect the air we breathe. It doesn't affect the sunshine. It doesn't affect the the plants and the trees and, you know, it can interact with it in some ways. Um, but like when we work, when we create, when we think, when we love, when we do all these things, we're doing it with our bodies in the whole world that we're living in. And so, you know, if you have a bunch of musicians sitting in a studio, interacting, joking, you know, hanging out, like there's, you've got to have all these little interactions and things and sounds and sights that are going to find their way into that. I watched the. Did you watch the Get Back? Um, yeah. holy oh sure. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Which That's was a... at once the most boring, yeah, and <laughs> yeah. engrossing documentary I've ever seen. I mean, if anyone hasn't seen it, it's like seven hours. Yeah. Of cut together footage of the Beatles recording and figuring out the Get Back album over the course of three or four weeks in a film studio. And then Abbey road studios in London and 99% of it is like the fab four, just like, does anyone want tea? Ringo, what do you think? (laughs) What do you think about this little lick? No, what about, and then they'll like jam and joke. Now, they could have done that in pro tools and each one of them would have been in a separate studios. They could have banged out 10 songs in two days and it would have been really efficient, but it would not have been the same thing. It wouldn't have been as magic. It wouldn't have had that chemistry that comes from these four Mm -hmm. friendships and their complicated history and all the emotions and everything and their talents, like all of that fed its way into what is, you know, this incredibly wonderful piece of art. Um, And I think we keep discounting that because that's a we can
0: point. Do it for a moment. that's a great because point because we and can I, find it in. I, I saw somewhere and i know it's been documented but of all the songs that appeared uh on that show yeah. the the give and and of course they are all portions of songs you know they little starts and mm-hmm. never finished but it's a huge long list of things from the yeah. past and things they never did things they did later it's that's what and that makes your point too because all that stuff was seething around and, you know, well, I'll work on that later. And, uh, you know, there it came, but, uh, just fascinating stuff. Well, David, we, we run out of time, time for you to do the, uh, uh, what was your, uh, the, the, what's your third one The not the son of analog. What was it going to be? The, uh, the rapture of analog or something? I don't know. The rapture uh, of analog. The the rapture of analog. Again. Thank you. All right. Well, David Sachs, we thank yeah. you so much, uh, fascinating and, you, and we will see what what goes on but uh, it's good to be reassured i think good to hear thank you for having me on thank you for taking an interest thanks david all right take care bye-bye. Bye
1: bye-bye